Let me ask you to take your copy of God's Word. Thank you. And turn with me to Psalm 19. And the words to which I call your attention this morning come to us from Psalm 19. And we'll read all 14 verses of the psalm, but our focus in the sermon will be on verses 7 through 11. Hear now the infallible and inerrant Word of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, please now add your blessing to the reading of your word and bless the preaching of your word from these fallible lips that your people might receive them and be encouraged and blessed by the goodness of Christ. We praise you in his name. Amen. Um, Well, we're coming now to the end of the year, we're turning a corner, and I know that many of you perhaps are thinking about your New Year's resolution, you want to uh, jog more, eat less, and do all of these things, you want to invest differently, you want to be more successful in work, maybe get up earlier, go to to bed earlier, Um, you want to be wiser in the things that you do. Maybe you want to improve your grades. And, but you're thinking about maybe some of you self-improvement. Perhaps your attention is all on just getting out of COVID and when can I get my vaccination. We think about self-improvement as your pastor. As you think about that, I want to encourage you um, in your reading of Scripture in your relationship with the Word of God, to be faithful in it, to make that a a focal point, uh, fathers, husbands within your families, 
the reading of the Word. And, and for some of you, that may mean uh, continuing in a pattern of reading through all of Scripture uh, for this year. If you do that, that's wonderful. But at the very least, my encouragement to you is to be regular, whatever that might look for you like for you. Some of you are busy moms. I know that. But it's not merely about reading, is it? It's not merely about getting through the year and saying, praise be to God, Revelation 22. It's about growing. Reading the Word is about growing in your knowledge of Jehovah in all of His ways. It's about putting on the mind of Christ so that when I get, by God's grace, to December 31st, I can look back and say, well, I know more. I I love the Lord more. My joy in Christ has grown throughout the course of the year. I've seen that as I've gone back to the Word repeatedly for counsel, for wisdom, that He has sustained me in my walk with Him and my family. And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to look at two passages passages of Scripture that really are central for us in our understanding of what the Word is, its power, its sufficiency, its authority, its necessity to us. In Psalm chapter 19 this Sunday and in 2 Timothy chapter 3 next Sunday. Psalm 19 is a psalm all about God's revelation of Himself to us. God has revealed Himself to us. He had to do that. If God doesn't disclose Himself to us, then we can't know Him. And that's not just because of sin, it's because of who we are. We are finite creatures. He is the infinite, almighty, and eternal God. And so unless He he comes down to us, right, we we can't know Him. We, We have some understanding of Him, But we can't know Him properly. And on top of this is the issue of sin. And so David, in writing Psalm 19, reflects on two two aspects of God's revelation. He reflects in the first part, in verses 1-6, through on the way that God reveals Himself in nature. You and I understand that it's never a Christian duty to prove God. It's not our work to prove the existence of God. Why? Well, look. He has proved His existence in everything that He has made. And David reflects on that in the first part of this psalm. And as we come to verses 7 to 11, he shifts from God's revelation of Himself in nature to His revelation of Himself in Scripture. We go from natural revelation of God to the supernatural revelation of God. And so this psalm, along with 54 others, is directed to the choir master. It's a psalm that is intended for the music director or is to be sung in temple worship as a regular part of the singing there. And so like all in this, the first book of the psalms, it is written by David or by someone closely associated with him. And its focus is on God's revelation of Himself. And as I said, in verses 7 to 11, shifts its focus to His supernatural revelation. 
David refers to supernatural revelation here under different names. He calls it the law of God. He calls it the precepts of God. He calls it God's testimony about Himself or the rules of the Lord. No doubt, as you read the Psalms, one of the things that becomes clear to you is that David had a love affair with Scripture. He loved God's Word. It was something he was very passionate about. And this was appropriate on, for two reasons. One, because every king had a, a first duty. Do you know what the first duty of an Israelite king was? The first thing that Scripture required of the king was that he write down every single word from Genesis to Deuteronomy. He had to write it for himself. His own copy of God's law we discover in Deuteronomy 18. He had to write his own copy. And then the priests had to approve it. This is well done, they would say. But furthermore, he had to read in it all the days of his life that he might learn to fear the Lord his God. By keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and by doing them, this was the first duty of a king, to write his own copy of the word so that he might be careful to do everything written in it. Second, the Davidic kingship pointed ultimately to what? To Christ. Pointing to the kingship of Jesus the Christ who leads His people according to the revealed Word of God. He Himself, Christ Himself, is the revelation of God to us in all that He did in His incarnation. Therefore, David's love for the Word typifies, symbolizes in some way, Christ's Love for the Word of God. This psalm, as you might have noticed in verses 7 to 11, it, it alternates between, between describing the, the Word of God, its nature and its character, and then man's benefit from it. Did you notice that? And so we're going to consider it under these two headings the nature of the Word and the work of the Word. But, but I want you to notice something about it. As David is describing the Word, as he's calling it the law of the Lord or the testimony of the Lord and describing its character and its work, David is not arguing for these points. He's, he's not trying to convince you. He's simply declaring it to you. Men do not make Scripture. It is not dependent upon our affirmation to be Scripture. In other words, uh, there's not at the end of your Bible a feedback form. Please rate God's service to you. Scripture is Scripture because it comes from God. Its whole quality is from God. And we find our highest blessing in learning the Scriptures and in meditating on them. You, you might have heard someone say, well, 
this particular minister, this preacher, this teacher, he makes, he really makes the word of God come alive for me. And your response ought to be, well, when did the scriptures die? Certainly God has gifted some men with the ability to teach and preach in a way that it draws in, doesn't it, and holds our attention. And praise God for those men and His grace to them. But those men, listen, do not add something to the Bible that is not already there. They don't, listen, they don't add something to Scripture that is not accessible to you. That's a point that we can draw from Psalm 19. The psalmist is telling us that this quality of Scripture is already there. Why? Because God is there. Living and active by His Spirit. And if they aren't, every one of the things that David says they are in your life The problem is not with Scripture. The problem is with us. So let's notice first then the nature of Scripture. David uses several phrases here. You'll notice in the passage beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The, The testimony of the Lord is sure. And so we'll take these just in the couplets as David has designed them. First of all, the the Scripture is perfect. Um, The Bible that you have lying open in your lap does not lie to you. It is blameless. We we don't go through it with correction tape or with whiteout and a red pen marking out and making additions here and there. The Scriptures are perfect, David says to us. In everything that they say, he's teaching us that the Bible does not lie. It has been given and preserved by the Holy Spirit. It is pure and, and perfect as it comes from God. But also he describes the Scripture um, there in verse 7 as being sure. Sometimes we find ourselves walking in places where it seems like, like life is very dim or at least very gray. We're looking for a place to put our feet. Uh, this year has, been, has accented that, hasn't it? We're wondering, do we, do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do I go to Walmart? Do I order my groceries? Do I interact with my family at Christmas? What do we do? And so we're wondering, where do I, where do I put my foot? What can I rest myself upon? David reminds us in this psalm that you can always trust what the Scripture says to you. Why? Because the God who has inspired it The God who has made it perfect does not change. You think about politicians. And many of the current politicians who have been there for 40 plus years have found themselves in a place where they've had to change their view. They change their position because all of a sudden they're not radical enough. And they have to go back and deny the things that they said sometimes just five years ago. Because the opinion of the world has changed. And that which the, the, the world approved or denied, approved or rejected just five years ago now has changed. What you ought to know from Scripture is that what God approves of and what God rejects does 
not change. It will never change. And so as you rest on the wisdom of Scripture, you can rest sure. You can put your foot there. You can stand upon Scripture. And it will always give you a firm place to stand. Because the Bible is perfect. Next, David describes in verse 8 two more words. The Bible is right. The precepts of the Lord are right. And the commandment of the Lord is pure. What David means here is as as you're walking down a path, you think of, of paths that have a fork in them. And you come to that fork, and or you've got a decision in your life. Do I go to the left side or do I go to the right? As you follow the Scriptures, Scripture's straight. It's not crooked. It's not asking you to weave this way and that way. The way of Scripture is a straight path. And as long as you follow the instructions of the Lord, as you rest upon the precepts of the Lord and His commandment, it will lead you in a straight path. Why? Well, because these are not merely the words of men. Acts chapter 4, verse 25, in one of Peter's sermons, here he reminds us that the Spirit of God spoke through the mouth of our father David. These are not merely the words of men. The words of men are not straight. The words of men are crooked. And sometimes our understanding will change. Our understanding grows. But God doesn't change. God doesn't grow. God is not growing in His knowledge. Things are not developing to Him as they're developing to you. You learn a new thing every day, both about the world and about yourself. And so maybe you have this response to the world on on Monday, and then on Tuesday there's more news, and so you change your response. God is not like that. He does not change. And what He has revealed to you in the Word reflects His character. He is the changeless God. And because they are set down by Him and preserved by Him, they will not lead you astray. Notice as well in verse 9. Not only is the word perfect and a sure place, not only is it right and pure, not not crooked. He teaches us there that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And then these last two characteristics, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. One of the things that's become very popular for us is um, maybe some of you have started to get into the virtual reality goggles and things. And you, you put on these goggles and you can view your phone and all of a sudden reality has changed. Maybe you can fly. You take on these superhuman characteristics, right? And, but what you do is you enter into someone else's creation. Someone else has written these rules. It's like the matrix, right? Somebody else has designed the program. And as long as you follow the rules of that program, you will survive. You will live. You will not lo- die. You won't lose your life. What David discloses to us when he says that the rules of the Lord are true is that the reality that you find yourself living in right now is a reality that has been designed, has been programmed by God Himself. We live in God's reality. 
And so, see, when we are born, when we are conceived, we come forth thinking that we, we fully understand what reality is. We establish our lives upon it. But it is Scripture alone that speaks to what is really true. Our hearts, by nature, seek to do what? They seek to create their own reality. Do you understand that? I want to create a world in which I'm perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with me. All of the problem is with the things that are around me. That's the deception of the heart. My heart's life work is to cover over the truth to create its own reality. According to Romans chapter 1, and what God is gently, tenderly doing as you read His work as He's saying, He is uncovering what is true. He is teaching you what is real, what is to be believed, and how you are to live in the reality that He Himself has created. It is the nature of Scripture that makes it desirable. Notice what David says there in verse 11. Verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold. What is this? All the words of the Lord are more to be desired than gold. Now now think about this with me for just a second. If I said, if, if I posted on Facebook that there were a million dollars of gold bricks hidden somewhere in New Covenant Presbyterian Church's parking lot. How many people would flood our parking lot? Many of you would would get up right now and you would leave. You'd start looking for the one million dollars of gold bricks because this is very valuable to you. You think of what a difference it can make to you personally. Your status all of a sudden rises. The that your material wealth becomes greater. All the good that you can do for humanity, right? You would share all those gold bricks. But do you understand that the Word of God is much more desirable than that? Why? Do you know why? Do you know why the Word of God, why Scripture is more desirable than all of that? Because it is the Scripture alone that discloses to you the face of your beloved Lord Jesus Christ. David says, more than any created thing. He says, I love the created things in verses 1-6. through The creation cries out to me about the existence of God. It tells me that He is there. Day to day is a constant sermon. But more than the creation of God, I love His Word. I love the intimacy that I find in His Word. I don't find intimacy with God by communing with nature. I find intimacy with God by learning who He is in all of His edges from His Word. It speaks to me of Christ, my rock and my redeemer. We are to remember here, listen, that the truest depiction of Christ comes to you from the pages of Scripture. You remember when Moses said to the Lord, show me your glory. I want to see it. I want to be in His presence. In Exodus chapter 34, how was it that God disclosed His glory to Moses? Do you remember? 
he placed Moses in the cleft of the rock. And it wasn't seeing God that gave Moses a true understanding of who God was. It was listening to His words. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate. If you want to commune with the living God, you give attention to His Word. This used to be reflected in the architecture of churches. Did you know that? If you go to some old cities like Charleston and Savannah, you walk into some of the the old Reformed and Presbyterian churches and you go into the sanctuary and there's something that you notice immediately. Do you know what it is? It's an elevated pulpit. Usually there was nothing around. And so what would happen is the minister would have to walk up some steps to get into the pulpit. And there he would look down upon the congregation. And do you know why? This was not to exalt the minister in any way, shape, or form. This was so that the people, when they entered into the place where they worshipped corporately with God, there was the Word of God above them. We sit under the Word of God as our sole authority. And you compare this to many modern churches. There is no pulpit. There's a message in that. We love Scripture. We sit under the Scripture. We model our lives on the Scripture. We treasure it. Why? Not because we have some form of bibliolatry. We don't worship this but we worship the object of the pages of Scripture. We love the one it discloses to us. But let's look secondly then. We we notice the character of Scripture in David's psalm. Let's notice lastly, secondly, the work of Scripture. What does this Bible do? It doesn't just lie here. It's not a a, uh, paperweight. It does something within us. And the first thing that David says in verse 7 is it revives the soul. If you look to the old King James, it says it converts the soul. The law of God converts the soul. You think about all the labor, all the work, all the intensity that has gone in to drawing men and women and children and families to Christ, of changing lives, of wanting to make a difference in the world. Do you know the one thing that makes the biggest difference in the world is the reading and the preaching and the teaching of the Bible. It is these simple means that bring about real conversion, real change. This is why worship has been such a simple thing. Because we, we don't win men to Christ. We don't commune with Christ through all these external things. The real communion with Christ is one that is internal, that happens by a work of the Spirit that goes to the very inmost part of a man. And we recognize this, that what the first work of Scripture is, its first instruction the first glimmer of reality that a man has when he appeals to the pages of Scripture is that Scripture requires us to change. I recognize that my perception of reality is skewed. 
But he also says that not only does it lead to conversion, not only does it work in the inmost part of a man, but the testimony of the Lord makes wise the simple. Men would look at this verse and take it to heart in saying we ought to translate the Word of God into the language of the plowboy. It's not right to preach the Word in Latin where nobody can understand it. Why? Because the Bible itself says that even an unconverted man, even a fool, can understand the basic message of the Bible. When it says to us, it makes the fool wise. You don't require a human mediator to give you understanding of the Word. You require the Holy Spirit. Now God has given preachers and teachers and gifted them for the preaching and the understanding of the Word. But the Word itself, unadulterated, you can understand. You can grow in wisdom through it. Secondly, we see that it brings us joy in verse 8. It enlightens the eyes. Now, now listen, this is, this is not a joy that comes because Scripture uh, helps me to understand how to make wise investment decisions. And I, I, I know how to invest my money so I can get a return on it. it. It helps with that. Certainly it gives wisdom in that. But that's not the chief joy. Here I... Often think of James chapter 1, verse 2. Do you know what it says there? He says, Christian, count it all joy when you suffer trials of various types. And you know, the interesting thing about that is when he, and the next thing that James says is, is if you lack joy when you are afflicted, if you lack joy when you are afflicted, James doesn't say to you, pray for joy. Come on, Christian, pray for joy. If you pray for joy, the Lord will give you joy in your affliction. Do you know what James instructs you to pray for? Wisdom. Perspective. That's where our joy comes from in Scripture. It helps us to see the grand scheme that even in light of all my troubles, all of my worries, all of my hurt, all of my affliction, that I serve a Christ who will never leave me or forsake me. Scripture enables you to process life and death. I have a grandmother who is 100 years old. She turned 100 in April. She was diagnosed with COVID a couple weeks ago. Came through it, no problem. She probably wasn't happy about that. You see, my grandmother's been ready to die for about 10 years now. Her husband died about 20 years now. You know why she's ready to die? Because she trusts in Christ. And she knows that this life is not all that there is. She knows that the moment she dies, she will go to be with her husband, my papa, and she will be with Christ, her great husband, this is the joy of Scripture. Life is eternal. This is the lasting joy that men receive when they study the Word. This is why Proverbs chapter 1, and verse 7 can say, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know nothing if you don't know it in the light of Christ. Where do you go with your grief? 
Where do you go with your anxiety? You go to the Word. And in the Word, in the understanding of it, in the digestion of it, the Lord restores to you joy and peace. Lastly, I don't want you to miss this. I skipped over a part intentionally. Go back to verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Does that seem a little out of place? All along we've been talking about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, and then we have the fear of the Lord, which is man's response, isn't it? Well, I want you to notice that in these little precepts, in these couplets that David has put together, that phrase is right in the middle. Why? Because that's the central idea. You know that you've rightly understood the word when, when you come away from your devotional time, your time of reading God's Word, of communing with the Lord, when you end that time and your fear of the Lord is greater than you've understood. When your love for the Lord is greater than you've understood. When your obedience to Him is greater than you've understood. David's central theme is that in your reading and meditation upon the Word, it imparts to you reverence for Jehovah. This psalm concludes by saying in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. You know, it's no accident, it is no accident that the Christian lives his life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. You know why? Because he's not guessing at it. We don't guess at what pleases God and what doesn't. We don't guess at what pleases God in worship and at what doesn't. We know. Why? We stand confidently on His Word. He has proclaimed it to us. Scripture, it is a delight to meditate upon. Why? Because it's not like an Ikea instruction book, is it? It can be sung, for one. It's effectual in your soul. It changes you. From the inside out, also not like an Ikea instruction book. When our words and our meditations are aligned with Scripture, we please God. We can feel His pleasure in us as we learn His Word, as we mature in it. You cannot please God if your words and your meditations are not aligned with Scripture. And you won't know if your words and your meditations are not aligned, if you do not read and reflect. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you will resolve to do that very thing today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words. We, we know, first of all, that you don't owe them to us. Um, that you have caused men to write your word down throughout time and that you've caused it to be preserved throughout time is an illustration of your grace to us and we praise you for it. We ask that you would cause us, Father, to love your word. We, we recognize that sometimes we, we really rebel against it. We don't want to hear what the word has to say. We don't want to change. We treasure who we are. We ask that one of these works of your word would be 
to make us uncomfortable with who we are. Because we're not like Christ. Let our greatest desire to be to live to your pleasure, to bring you joy in who we are, and to do so by learning your word and living our lives according to it. We pray in the only name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.